Hello and good afternoon. Welcome to today's GRN webinar. Today we're going to be uh, speaking about neurodiversity and autism uh, and hopefully this will help you to successfully recruit and retain neurodiverse talent. So a quick intro from me. Uh, my name's Dan Hawes and I'm the GRB Group co-founder uh, set up in 1997 um, after graduating in business studies from Brighton University. Uh, we've now grown to become the go-to platform for high caliber university students, recent graduates, alumni and employers. We have over 50 staff and over 2000 clients across all sectors, uh, uh, companies as large as Amazon, IBM, Unilever and Ocado, but also several fast growing SMEs. Our recruitment experts have successfully matched over 8,000 graduates with full-time graduate or executive level jobs. The GLB group uh, looks like this at the moment. Um, the Graduate Recruitment Bureau uh, is our main uh, business, uh, providing contingency and volume recruitment solutions to recruiters all around the UK. We also have two experienced hire divisions, Cortex and Metrica, they help recruiters who are looking for graduates with up to five years experience in either IT or analytical. We also launched Graduate Mentor, a free one-to-one -one mentoring platform last year. This was to uh, address uh, students and graduates who were from diverse backgrounds, underrepresented or disadvantaged groups to try and mitigate the effects of the pandemic. If you're interested in becoming a mentor, then do uh, contact me at the end. Uh, we also have uh, lots of um, other activities online, as you'd expect. So we have a, a podcast called Student Diaries every month. We're very active on LinkedIn, as you can imagine. Uh, we have an uh, initiative called Rising Stars, where we showcase 50 of the top final year students that our experts have handpicked. Uh, we also have a, a social enterprise called Student Startup to help students who are looking to set up their own business. And finally, we have GRN. So for the benefit of some of our new joiners today, I'll give you a quick overview. GRN or Graduate Recruiters Network was set up by GRB back in January 2009. Now this was originally for our clients and friends uh, to talk about issues uh, and uh, find out what's going on uh, in the world of graduate recruitment. So not much happens without us knowing uh, about uh, what's going on in the world of early talent, student recruitment uh, and graduate recruitment. So we decided to launch that and the idea was to bring together uh, people who are typically either HR advisors, HRBPs, recruitment managers, directors, early talent leads, that kind of level uh, to discuss current topics and issues. And we've also invited uh, a variety of different uh, speakers to come in, either practitioners, researchers, uh, or experts in the field of graduate recruitment. The idea is that members share best practice in a confidential environment, enhance their learning, and ultimately help them become better graduate recruiters. At the moment, we have over 3,000 members, and we have 21 new members who joined uh, us in the last month. Lots of uh, big name recruiters you'd expect, um, and today I'm delighted to have members who are from organizations as big as Shell, uh, Sky, Nestle, Centrica, to name but a few, but also uh, a huge number of fast growing SME recruiters. Um, and members represent all different sectors. So there's a really nice broad uh, base of membership and a, a really good opportunity to share your experiences. As a member, you receive invites to webinars, uh, special events, 
access to the WhatsApp group, the LinkedIn forum, the blog, surveys, and also a quarterly newsletter. Uh, we also have the opportunity for extra benefits uh, for VIP members for only £20 a month. Uh, again, if you're interested, do speak to me at the end. Okay, uh, today's presenter um, is Ian, and he's the MD at Cambridge Code. He's an experienced financially literate group HR director, and he's passionate about diversity and inclusion. He's currently undertaking a part-time doctorate at Cranfield University, researching autism in the workplace. So it gives me great pleasure um, to invite uh, Ian to the stage. I'm gonna hand over uh, the controls to him in one second. Um, in the meantime, we are recording this. Um, so uh, you are able to listen back uh, on the YouTube channel and I'll email you all so you can access uh, this shortly afterwards. Now, if we could all make sure our audio and video is turned off so we don't interrupt uh, Ian. And in the meantime, please put your questions in the chat box um, just to the right on the top of your screen there. And hopefully we'll be able to answer those questions in the Q&A session at the end. So uh, let me hand over to Ian. Thanks, Dan, and good afternoon, everybody. Uh, it's uh, lovely to have the opportunity to speak with you. I saw a couple of you that came on uh, and actually had your cameras on before you started, although most of you have now disappeared. But perhaps at the end, uh, if you're asking questions, you can come back on camera and be a little bit less shy. It does feel very strange sat in a room, uh, in effect, talking to myself. But it's a great opportunity to be able to talk about something that, uh, as Dan said, I'm passionate about. Uh, and that is um, autism in work uh, and also in the broader context uh, of neurodiversity generally. And um, what I'd like to do uh, is uh, take you through um, uh, my background and my knowledge in this area uh, to hopefully provide you some very interesting insights uh, and thought provokers and then potentially take some questions at the end as well. Um, as Dan said, I uh, have had uh, 20 years as a HR director across a number uh, of organizations in the UK uh, and globally, uh, some large and some small in a variety of different industries. And during those 20 years, as you can imagine, um, I have covered all aspects uh, of HR, but I would say that probably the one that I focused most on, perhaps inevitably because of the, um, the climate, was a lot around diversity and inclusion. And um, uh, like everybody uh, that's been tackling that subject, obviously there's a lot of different things uh, that I've got involved in. But up until uh, I started my work at Cranfield University, um, an area of uh, diversity and inclusion that I knew absolutely nothing about was neurodiversity. In fact, I'm not even sure I'd heard the word uh, up until about five years ago. Um, but uh, I started uh, at Cranfield and I knew I wanted to do uh, my doctorate uh, it's actually called DBA, which is like a PhD, but for business people uh, in something that was diversity related. And um, uh, quite early on in the process, um, I struck on the idea uh, of looking at autism and work and the challenges uh, for autistic people of being recruited and then staying uh, in work. Uh, and it has been a really, really fascinating journey, which I will tell you uh, about uh, as we go through uh, the process. Um, Dan, can I just check? Uh, uh, are you hearing me OK? Yes, loud and clear, Ian. Um, that's all good. We can see your slides. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. I just want to, I didn't want to talk for half an hour and then find out that uh, nobody <laughs> been in, nobody been in to see anything. So <laughs> what I'm going to cut there, 
thank you. What I'm going to cover is um, an introduction in terms of what do we mean uh, by neurodiversity, uh, given that it is such a, a new word and a new concept, and it might be brand new for some of you. Um, and then particularly think about as a recruiter or organisations that are recruiting, what can you do to support neurodiverse recruitment? I'm going to weave in uh, the stuff that I found through my own research and the research uh, that other uh, academics uh, have uh, uh, discovered uh, in this particular field, which is um, very much a, a current topic. And then look very much so at what organisations can do to make a difference, so that hopefully by the end of um, this half hour session, um, you haven't just learned something interesting, but you've actually got some hints and tips of things that you could consider from your own point of view that uh, would be useful in your own organisation, or at least start to prompt uh, that conversation. I'm also going to cover kind of some what else's and in particular you know some things that might not even be on your radar but are related to the topic of neurodiversity and autism in work and then finish with some what I call be awares those are some things that um, in particular uh, I have uh, learned a lot about uh, from my interviews with autistic people themselves with the people who have recruited them and with the people who have managed them about things that don't necessarily come to mind straight off, but actually are really powerful uh, aspects uh, of this particular topic. So that hopefully I can um, fast track uh, your knowledge and understanding in, in this particular subject so that you get value uh, from the work that, uh, that I've been doing. So what is neurodiversity? Well, the first thing to say is that actually there isn't one absolutely fixed definition. Um, not in the, the academic world and not in the, uh, the business world. But um, broadly, um, when we talk about neurodiversity, or when most people talk about neurodiversity, they are typically talking about these sorts of things. So autism and Asperger's syndrome, which are actually both part of uh, the overall autism spectrum disorders, ADHD, dyslexia, dyscalculia and dyspraxia. There are others. But um, these are the, the most common examples uh, of things that we typically mean when we talk about neurodiversity and when people are writing about it is these types of situations and conditions and brain functions um, that we are uh, talking about. Now, just to make it a little bit more complicated, this is a slightly busy slide, so it'll probably be one of these ones that if you've not seen it before, you might want to come back to after the presentation. But typically, it tries to explain a little bit of the definition of neurodiversity, which is the box in the middle, but also tries to highlight that actually many of the neurodiverse conditions actually have traits that overlap with each other. So sometimes it makes it both difficult for the individual to get a, a correct diagnosis, but also makes it very difficult in a work context, whether it be in recruitment situations or then later in employment, for managers and employers to be able to provide best, uh, you know, reasonable adjustments, because sometimes it can be difficult to be, to be precise. But generally, if we start by the centre, we're talking about individuals that have, and I use the word difficult, isn't it? And it's interesting because the, the language in this subject is, is absolutely a challenge. And many people have, in, even within the autistic and neurodiversity community themselves, have different interpretations interpretations and different preferences of the words I like to use. So forgive me if I use any terms 
that you don't feel comfortable with, but these are my best understanding as of how we should describe things. But neurodiversity is difficulties with things like organization, with short-term memory, with concentration, with sometimes with perception and sequencing, but also particularly poor listening skills, which can create many issues in, in the workplace. And if you broaden them out, um, you're probably familiar with things like dyslexia, where people have particular challenges around reading, writing and spelling. Although it's quite interesting, I thought I knew, I thought I knew what dyslexia was, but as I studied it, I've realized it's much more complex uh, than I first thought. But then on the bottom uh, left-hand quarter is uh, the autistic spectrum disorder, autism, or including Asperger's. And they particularly have challenges around interpersonal communications. They often, or you have to be very careful about stereotyping, might take things quite literally. They don't follow um, nuances, metaphors, idioms uh, at all, and tend to say what they think and think what they say which has great opportunities, but also some risks in a recruitment and a workplace situation. It can mean that certain typical interview processes and recruitment processes are much less easy for them to navigate, and certain workplace practices are much less easy for them to navigate. However, conversely, it can also give them huge capabilities and strengths if you find the right slot for them. It's very much a question of round pegs for round holes and square pegs for square holes and find the place where they are um, at their best and you actually have real source of talent. And this is um, a, an opportunity uh, as recruiters uh, and uh, as employers, because in the war for talent and, and actually for all the many challenges that are going on in the changing economy, what we can't afford to do is pass up the opportunity to recruit certain types of people because we're ignorant about the best way to recruit them, the best way to attract them and the best way uh, to actually uh, work with them uh, once they're recruited. So hopefully this session will give you some hints and tips and clues as to how you can better uh, facilitate these people joining your workplace. So what does the research tell us? Well, best guess is that it's believed that somewhere between 10 and 15% of the workforce has one or more of these neurodiverse conditions. And as I said a bit earlier, often individuals will have more than one element at the same time, which can make things difficult. But research also shows that there's a much lower proportion of these people in employment. For example, the National Autistic Society in the UK estimates only 16% of autistic adults are in the UK are in full-time employment, compared to a national average of about 66%. So a huge 50% difference in employment prospects. And as I say, that's a reflection of many misunderstandings in the past, but is a great opportunity for now for us as recruiters and employers to tap into this talent. The other thing that I'll mention now, but I'll come back to, which is also quite pertinent, is that other academic research has shown that typically these neurodiverse people have much higher levels of stress and mental health issues than average often because they're having to cope with seeing the world through a different set of lenses to the neurotypical people. And the world is typically set up for neurotypical people. So to navigate uh, this world, neurodiverse people have to work their brains much harder and actually it creates stresses and strains uh, for them. So both through, again, through recruitment and through employment, if we want to reduce that stress and that mental health uh, challenge, 
and give them the best chance to give of their best and show us what they can do, we need to be aware uh, of those difficulties and actually find ways to make it so that as an organisation, as a recruiter, we can actually help them uh, rather than hinder them. So let me give you some examples of some things that you can start to think about that would make a difference. Well, I'd start off by saying, think very carefully, even before you get to the recruitment itself, about how job specifications and role profiles are written so that they do not inadvertently exclude people unnecessarily. I have to say this is one when I look back on my HR career and I feel that I've been uh, guilty of that in, in jobs and, and employers that I've worked for. How often do we have almost standard phrases like must be a team player with great interpersonal skills? Actually, not all jobs require that, although we often say that it does. Neurodiverse people will typically take a job description very literally. And if there are things in there that they know do not apply to them, whereas a neurotypical person might say, oh, well, I'll explain that in interview, they just won't apply. And it, immediately you are excluding a bunch of people that might be great talent because you've not thought about uh, the job specification role profile clearly enough. Think also about language, terminology, terminology, font, even colour, size and style of ads. Again, not just for dyslexic people, but for others. And all of those things can have an effect way beyond um, what you might imagine in terms of their ability to even process what you're trying to say about your organisation. And there are bits of software and other guidance available um, that can help you make ads uh, much clearer for people. But then also think about your selection criteria and processes so they are inclusive and make sure that candidates are aware of your attitude to supporting applicants who are neurodiverse. And sometimes you have to think very carefully about how you word that because they might have had experiences in the past, which I'll come on to in a moment, that will make them nervous and reticent about declaring some of their conditions. One of the big things you can do is to train recruiting managers to carefully manage neurodiverse applicants, to be aware of neurodiversity if they've not thought about it, to be aware of some of the facets of normal recruitment processes that might be challenging, and some of the things that they can say and do, some of the things I'm going to talk about in a second, that actually make it less likely that you will inadvertently discriminate or be biased against neurodiverse applicants. For example, thinking carefully about the recruitment logistics is a really great way that you can start by providing information in advance that reduces stress levels. I think all candidates, I can remember every single interview I've ever gone for, you're nervous, no matter how much you think uh, you're ideal for the job. But if you've got additional neurodiverse challenges, if you find going to strange places, dealing with new people, going to environments you don't understand difficult, that just magnifies the stress levels and even more reduces the chance that you're going to be able to give up your best. So there are some things that we can do to try and make that logistics as simple and as helpful as possible. Now, it'll help all candidates, so you're not disadvantaging anybody else, but what you're doing is you're making it a much more inclusive uh, recruitment process. So, some more examples, and some of these we've touched on. But for example, where we talk about interpersonal skills being essential or must be a team player, Actually, some jobs really don't need that. Um, I was working at Network Rail at one point and we had a really important job, um, which was about organising the train timetable. And as you can imagine, sort of pre-lockdown, certainly when we were at the height of busyness, having all the trains 
you know, moving around the country in and out of all the stations. It was a really, really complicated job. And the people that had to organize that needed to be really, really focused and concentrate on the information on their screens in front. And often they had multiple, two or three screens. And when I started talking to the manager that was recruiting there, the job description had must be a team player, must be having interpersonal skills. And we looked at each other and said, that's crazy. The people who were best trained timetable planners were actually a little bit uh, introvert and they didn't talk to other people. They were really, really focused and much less distracted than other people. So we took that out of the job description. So think clearly about what's appropriate for which jobs. As I mentioned, there is software available that can actually make the wording of recruitment ads less gender specific, which you're probably aware of, but also can deal with the issues that dyslexic and some other neurodiverse people have in terms of the way ads are presented. So you might want to explore using some of that technology that's available. And I wonder also how many times have we got expectations around personality types built into our selection processes, which are again, just not necessary. There is a tendency uh, that I've seen over years of recruitment, A, for people to typically recruit in their own image. So they're looking for people that act and behave like themselves, and it's unbelievably common. But also there's a sort of standard expectation, certainly in kind of white collar um, uh, UK workforce that I've seen over the last 20 years, that there's a sort of emphasis on extroverts and people who can talk, talk the talk, uh, as opposed to the experts that might be less extrovert, might take a bit longer to learn a job, but get really good at deep focus. So have a think about what is the type of role characteristics you need for each individual job? And are you choosing selection processes that best lend themselves to do that? And, and you know, I'll mention this a few times, but for example, we nearly always use interviews, nearly always as first part of the process, but for some technical jobs, maybe a technical assessment first might be better. And also, do you recruit assuming that people have to have certain past experiences? Do you go through the process, which again, I feel guilty of, of going through a CV and almost discarding applicants that don't have certain look-fors? But actually, a lot of neurodiverse people have struggled through education because the education system has not been set up to be favorable towards them. So they might have gaps in their CV, but that doesn't mean they aren't capable of it. They don't have the talent. And maybe what you need to do is be a little bit less um, kind of focused on the things that are not in their CVs or in their applications and provide open questions or opportunities for them to demonstrate what capabilities they've got and what output uh, they can deliver. And that would be a much fairer, much more inclusive uh, part of the process. Some other suggestions, as I said, um, don't just exclude candidates because their CV has gaps or is missing non-essential items. In fact, that's, this is a great example because it, um, it overlaps with two of my common pieces of work. One at the moment is, is about neurodiversity, but I'm also doing a lot talking about how we create a more socioeconomic diversity in recruitment. And again, if people have come from a particular background where their parents don't have the money or don't have the experience, there might be certain things that might be missing from someone's CV that is nothing to do with their capabilities, but just to do with the, the, the way that they were brought up. It's not anybody's fault, but don't exclude these people because they've got gaps in their CV. Find a way, maybe as I say, doing a technical assessment or a skills test, you know, have you got jobs where people can come and actually, you know, pilot it, do it a little bit in practice so that you can see what they're like in, in real life. 
maybe, and this is where we start to get a little bit controversial potentially, but for some neurodiverse people, certainly autistic people, the speed of processing a new question can be quite challenging for them. They might need a little bit longer to process it. One of the things you could consider is providing some of the interview questions in advance so that they have a chance to give of their best. Now, I know people are always very protective about their interview questions and they, you know, they think it gives them a chance to ask questions of other people and are you really finding out the individual's answer? But I wonder whether that's often just a bit of an excuse because people are not that prepared and haven't thought through their questions and couldn't really come up with a few that are great openers that would allow everybody to have a fair chance to get their speed up in an interview. And also, have you asked candidates if they need any special arrangements? I don't just mean say, you know, having a box that says, you know, do you consider yourself disabled as per the Disability Act? Because, you know, almost legally we have to do that. But many neurodiverse people, and this is another example where there's a huge range of views in it, but many neurodiverse people, even though they are covered by the Act, prefer not to consider themselves as, as disabled and certainly would not want to flag that early on in the process. So in addition to asking if somebody considers themselves as disabled, maybe you can ask a supplementary question that says, are there any other aspects of the recruitment process that you might need any assistance with because we want to make it as helpful as possible? And that would be extremely useful for a neurodiverse candidate. And I mentioned about some of the, the processing difficulties and some of the stress that they um, might feel even above normal interview processes. Well, could you provide a map to your building? Some people already do that. But could you perhaps also include a photo of the building and maybe the reception area and even the receptionists so that they are knowing who they're looking for and can feel that they're in the right place? And is the interview room thoughtfully laid out? Again, how many times in the past have you personally or seen managers not even go to the interview room before an interview, go and collect the candidate from reception, go and turn up at the room and find that it's a bit small or the lighting's too dark or too bright and kind of just got on with it. Well, for a neurodiverse candidate, particularly autistic people, the sensory overload of a room that's not laid out for them can be so massive that they will shut down and not be able to give you a sensible answer. And then you've lost that potential talent just by not taking a couple of extra minutes to check the room out. And also, have you trained your interviewers to think about how they allow for thinking pauses? Now, I would argue in my years of experience of interviewing alongside senior people that more often than not, people think they're better at recruiting than they are and better at interviewing than they are. And one of the most common mistakes that I see of interviewers is that they ask a question and before the candidates even had a moment to think, if they just don't come back straight away, the interviewer starts diving in with a rephrase of the question or a slightly build on the question because they think the candidate's struggling. Now, that is not that helpful for neurotypical people, but for neurodiverse people, they're now having to process a second or a third question and their brain will whir away thinking about the answers for first, second and third questions before you get an answer. So just give them that little pause, that little moment to answer the first question and you'll get the brilliant answer. Well, the, the, um, the other thing I was going to say was just to be aware of <clears throat> um, some issues around uh, non-disclosure. So um, many uh, neurodiverse people do not 
uh, feel comfortable about disclosing through recruitment um, processes because they've had past discrimination examples. So you do need to make uh, things accessible uh, for them and, and, and encouraging and welcoming for their disclosure. You also have to be aware of intersectionality because um, a lot of research shows that women are much less likely to be spotted uh, at, through childhood and into adulthood as being uh, neurodiverse and getting a diagnosis. So actually, if you want to improve your gender diversity, one of the issues might be that some of your women are actually neurodiverse as well, and they're not getting the support um, that they might need. Also be aware that line managers uh, might really be struggling uh, with managing neurodiverse people. Many of them, the ones that I spoke with in my research, were really, really desperate to do a good job and were looking for more support from their employer. And don't forget about those sensory issues uh, that I talked about. And, um, uh, you know, really just in terms of thinking about if you want to move from not just thinking about diversity, but actually making it both inclusion and belonging, you want people to feel like they're not just invited to the party, but they're actually dancing like no one is watching them because they feel part of a community, part of your company because you've been very supportive. And I'm just going to finish off for those that are interested uh, to say my research question was what factors influence employers to successfully recruit and then retain autistic people. And I've got an autisminwork.com website on my Cranfield email address there is if you want to, to find more about it. And I created through that a little model which organizations can use to think about when they're recruiting and then when they're, uh, you know, employing neurodiverse people, kind of a checklist of things for them to think about so that they're doing as well as they can in this new and emergent aspect uh, of neurodiversity. So, um, again, uh, apologies for that loss of uh, sound, but I'm very happy to take questions if we haven't lost everybody in the process. Uh, Ian, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for covering uh, this subject. Like you say, it's... Um, Maybe five years ago, we, we weren't aware of it, uh, but neurodiversity is certainly on the um, priority list for a lot of recruiters and, and members uh, who come along to hear you today. So thank you very much for giving us a, a bite-sized overview. Uh, I will share the slides if that's okay. Um, yes, please do. Yeah, we had a few people uh, who left, so I'm gonna uh, make sure that everyone gets a copy of your slides. And also, uh, if you can make yourself available on the GRN LinkedIn group, to answer any yep. questions for our members, that would be absolutely lovely. Um, we've had a few members saying, you know, um, some great advice, particularly the fact that they, you know, can take away some of the tips and actually imp uh, implement them tomorrow. So some really yes. good practical um, advice you've shared there. Thank you very much. If anyone does does have any questions, do feel free to put them in the, um, the chat box uh, or jump on the LinkedIn group. Uh, later on. Um, I've got a, a couple of questions from members who couldn't come along um, yes. but they wanted me to uh, put a, a few questions to you so we've got a little bit of time left so um, one of them was and you, you kind of covered it um, on one of the earliest slides is that it, it does actually start with um, the job spec. Yeah. You know you talked about the wording you talked about um, how you position um, the, 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 the profile of the person and the job description and also at interview when you meet them face to face. So people need to be mindful of these things from the very beginning um, and also for, for other matters of, of diversity. And you, you talked about a piece of software there and that was the question. Uh, what is this uh, software that 
you alluded to that that can help you with the wording, for instance, and any of yes, any of yeah, the, yeah, yeah. There's actually a couple of different um, things that are available, and um, uh, one is specifically designed to ensure that job ads are gender neutral, and that's quite important okay. for general diversity. Yeah. But um, and then there are some that are specifically designed for dyslexic uh, people. And if you go to um, the uh, National Dyslexic Association website, in fact, all of the conditions uh, around university, whether it be dyslexia, dyscalculia, uh, ADHD or autism, all the, the national websites actually have a section within them that provides hints and tips as to software that you can use, other tools that are available, and some of the organizations uh, that I mentioned, such as um, Ambitious About Autism, um, yeah. uh, Employ Autism is a great website, um, Autism Forward, although it's got autism in the word, actually many of the things that they talk about are actually true and useful for all of the neurodiversity uh, spectrum. So um, going to some of those organizations or going to some of those national association websites is a really valuable source of, of information. Wonderful. I'm just making a note of these in the chat so people can go and find out some more about them. So I'll just put that in there. Uh, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. And um, another question was about uh, role models. So, you know, it's very helpful if there is someone within your organization um, uh, that can be a role model, perhaps when you're uh, promoting your organization and, uh, and your diversity piece. Um, have you got any um, strong role models that you've come across that could help some of our members to maybe speak to and find out a little bit more? Um, yeah, I think I think there. I think it really is an important aspect, yeah. and it's um, it's obviously been something that's been very powerful in other uh, areas of diversity. You know, when we've been talking about gender and uh, ethnicity, uh, role models in those areas have been very powerful. In neurodiversity, yeah. it's only just starting to happen. Um, one general thing that um, I've done in a couple of organizations, which is most organizations have kind of staff networks or affinity groups, right. often, you know, a women's network, you know, a, a black and Asian minority uh, network. So why not create a neurodiversity network that allows people that are like minded to come together and whether they be neurodiverse themselves or allies can start working together to talk about what's going on in their organization and you might get role models arriving as a result of that there are also some organizations that are set up across particular industries to help create yeah. and promote role models in certain industries so for example i'm connected to one called the diversity project which yeah. specifically is working in the investment industry and they have a number of very prominent neurodiverse people who are in the investment industry who talk about publicly and on the website and on various other things about their neurodiversity and encourage others. So depending on what industry um, your uh, listeners and attendees are today, have a look at see whether there's something going on across the industry that has a neurodiversity focus. I know there's a group that's in the legal uh, area that's working across yep. the legal profession. And I think there's some within the banking industry as well. So um, that's another mm. way of, of, of seeing whether there are, uh, you know, if you're not aware of role models within your own business, then there might be someone within the industry uh, that can provide that, that function. Lovely, great advice. And it's, uh, you know, really useful for you to share all of these organizations that some of us may not be aware of um, and need to, uh, to, mo to move forward. So 
the speaker will be available um, on the GRN forum. As always, our speakers are available 24 hours uh, after their presentation to answer any questions for you and also enable other members um, to, to find out a little bit more on this particular subject, which I was finding very, very fascinating uh, with lots of very useful uh, takeaways. Um, the recording also will be on our YouTube channel. So if you're not already a subscriber, do subscribe because um, you'll be joining uh, over 135 subscribers who will get an alert um, when the recording is uploaded. And also you get access to our entire back catalogue there of previous uh, webinars covering a huge range of subjects that I'm sure will interest you. Uh, our next webinar is on Wednesday the 8th of December. Um, we've got an expert in psychometric tools who's going to be joining us uh, for our usual lunchtime slot from 12.30 till 1.30. I will e email you all invites to that, um, but that will prove to be a very interesting uh, topic as well. Uh, it comes highly recommended from one of our previous speakers, uh, so we'll look forward to hearing from Jesper uh, on psychometric tools. Um, I'm going to bring things to a close. Um, the next event is on Wednesday the 8th of December. Um, emails uh, and invitations will go out to that a little bit nearer the time. So thank you for your company today and a huge thanks to Ian um, shining a light on this really interesting subject um, and um, you know hopefully there'll be some other questions uh, on the LinkedIn group. And yeah, maybe very happy to follow those up. Thank you. Uh, that's very kind. Thank you and hopefully you'll come along uh, next year and give us an update. Hopefully we'll have moved forward a little bit more as well. I look forward to it. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you everyone.